Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. Never believe the lie that the temperature of your life can affect the temperature of other people's life. My wife, she can't keep her hands off of me because she says I'm always warm. She wants to snuggle. What it's saying is, is because the temperature of my life allows her to want to draw near. The temperature of our worship can help others move forward in the temperature of their worship. Can I hear an amen? And though the vision may tarry of all that God has for you, you wait for it. And you wait for it in worship. And you wait for it with the right temperature of staying hot in pursuit of a God who's consuming fire and consumed with love for us. Can I hear an amen? Oh, hallelujah. How many's enjoyed so far the series this month titled Emotions? We had Mother's Day and also, what a great month. And uh, all the summer months are going to be spectacular as well. We are unique here at at Dwelling Place uh, in the sense of we do not follow in the normal statistics where summer is a low hole in the life of a lot of other communities and disciples. Summer's always been amazing for us. New visitors, new people joining the family, God moving. So I'm excited for summer. I know Pastor Craig, he always hypes up spring and fall, fall, right? He loves fall and he has great faith uh, for God to move in fall. Well, I love summer and I have great faith for God to move in this summer. In your life, in my life, in our life, Because God's not just speaking to us individually, but He's speaking to His people. And He speaks to His heart and mission for a community. Amen? Amen. Well, I want today to minister on emotions as we conclude this series. If you don't have a sermon card, you can lift your hand up. My wife doesn't because I took hers right before I came to the pulpit. So if you would uh, give her one, I would be greatly, greatly appreciative. And we're so delighted that you are here. And if I haven't met you, hope to meet you after the gathering or here in the days following. The days following. Hallelujah. I want to preach a message to you today called frustration. Frustration. Why don't you try to say that with me? Frustration. Before I do, I'd like to pray. Father, I thank you that you so love the world. Not just the dust of the world, the sun and the moon and the stars of the world that you created, but you loved us. That you sinned and gave your son. And Lord, we are here today because of you reaching out to us. 
You drawing us through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make much of Jesus these next few moments. That, Holy Spirit, you would do what only you could do. That you would speak prophetically and testify about Jesus and about his knowledge, his concern, and his love for each individual and what they're facing here today. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in a culture that has joined together words to make new words. For instance, the word hungry and the word angry to make the word I'm hangry. I'm not just angry and I'm not just hungry. I'm hangry. Anybody met someone that's hangry before? Like you're living the Snickers commercial over and over with them. They turn into another person. They become a hangry person. I hope none of you get hangry at me. Because you didn't eat breakfast and you're thinking about lunch. There's another one as well. Another one is the word stay and the word vacation. It's a staycation. I'm off next week for vacation, but I'm staying at home. It's a staycation. Well, today, DP family, we're creating a new word. It's frustration. It's frustration... And vacation put together. It's those repetitive times of frustration in our life. See, I grew up in a culture where most families had some sort of vacation once a year. I didn't obviously grow up in Cobb County or Cherokee County or the other counties around. Because around here, you don't just get one vacation normally. I mean... There's vacations happening all the time. It's, it's amazed me and my wife now that we're a part of this culture here. But growing up, we had just normally one vacation. Meaning there was something yearly, year after year that took place. There was a cycle. Frustration is about a cycle of frustration that keeps showing up in your life. That you can even be on actual vacation and still be filled with frustration. See, I believe that every one of us here today is facing today, or if not today, has definitely faced and will face again. The topic that we're dealing with, the issue of frustration in our life and in our emotions. See... You can have your feet in the sand, but your frustration's still in your mind. Has anybody ever identified of repetitive moments, seasons, cycles, where the same frustration keeps showing up in your life? What's amazing about those times is because you're already frustrated and that frustration keeps showing up repetitively, it makes you even more frustrated. Well, this is what we're going to deal with and look at today. You know, there's someone in Scripture that knows all about such seasons of life. Her name is Hannah. You find her story in 1 Samuel 1. You can follow along 
there with me beginning in verse 1. I want to read a large portion of the text about Hannah and her life. We see that she's well acquainted with frustration. She's well aware and acquainted with seasons and vacations where she's still dealing with and being filled with frustration. It's a frustration that doesn't go away. It says in verse 1, Now there was a certain man, Ramathim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanai, the son of Jeroham, the son of Eluhu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other, Penanah. Penanah had children, but Hannah had no children. The man went up from his city yearly. Someone say yearly. To worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked, someone say provoked, her severely. To make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year. Someone say year by year. When she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, will not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, But her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now let's talk about this. Elkanah had two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Here we're focusing in on Hannah. Notice that 
Hannah has an other woman that she's got to deal with in her story. Now, I'm still trying to figure out women. Most importantly, the most wonderful one, my wife, Michelle. But one thing I'm certain is there is no woman that truly in her heart wants another woman around and wouldn't be frustrated. Not only is there another woman around that Hannah is having to deal with and the frustrations and the complexity of the situation she's facing in life, but the other woman, Penana, had children. But Hannah had no children. Listen, she did not have that which was a cultural expectation. And the culture Hannah was a part of, it was expected. If you're a wife and you're married, then you're to have children. You're to bear children. Your worth and your dignity and your value was found in having children. And here's a woman who not only has to deal with this other woman, but she also has no children. And the other woman does. She didn't have that which is valued. She didn't have that which people around her respected. She didn't have that which only God could do. Some of you men saying, I can't identify. Oh, yes, you can. Though you're not a woman and your name's not Hannah, you find yourself right here in this story as well. Because listen, you might not be a woman, but you still have things in your life that it takes God to produce and to do. That there are dreams and there are things that's in your life, men and women, that if God doesn't produce it, if God doesn't move the mountain, if God doesn't split the sea, then it's not going to be produced in your life. Every one of us can find ourselves in this story today. That you're going to come to things in life that without God's help, you will not be able to experience and produce things that are expected of you. Things that culture and people around you value. This is Hannah's situation. It says that the husband, the man, went up from his city yearly to Shiloh to worship and to sacrifice. What is this? They had a yearly vacation. Imagine Hannah. She knows that every year she's going to have to go up and she's going to have to face the biggest frustration of her life yearly, time after time. It's going to be a repetitive reminder of her barrenness, of her inability to experience what culturally is expected of her, what is valued, what is longed for, and yet is unfulfilled in her life. Is this not the same for some of you today? That you know yearly around Father's Day or Mother's Day or yearly on vacation or yearly at your birthday or yearly at the, the banquet awards at your work that you're going to face the frustration of some things continuing to be there. We find these times in our life. Here... On this yearly vacation, this yearly trip, this yearly celebration, it was a great feast in the time in the nation of Israel. It was a time of celebration. But for Hannah, it wasn't a time of celebration. It was a frustration. 
She's supposed to be going on vacation. She's supposed to be going for a time of joy, a time of celebration. But for her, it's a time of misery and remind her that there is something lacking. There is something nagging. That there is an ongoing issue in her life that she's not getting a breakthrough in. The husband would give portions to Penina, to her sons and to her daughters. Notice that the other woman has sons and daughters. So what the text don't tell us is how many years they have went up to worship. We know that they've went up long enough that the other woman has multiple sons and daughters. So this is something that every year, year after year, we don't know how many years, Hannah has found herself when others are celebrating, she's there with a frustration. Doesn't have children. But the husband would give to Hannah a double portion for he loved Hannah. Now listen, I want to talk to some sincere people here for a moment. Here the husband is seeking to overcompensate for Hannah's frustration. He knows that every year he's going to go and take the family, but he loves Hannah enough and is aware about Hannah's emotions enough that he knows for her it's not going to be a time of joy. So he, in his sincerity, is trying to overcompensate for Hannah's unwillingness and her lack of desire to go up year after year. And he tries to overcompensate for her emotional state by giving her a double portion of sacrifices. Here's the problem. The double portion that the husband gave Hannah is not connected to her area of frustration. And I need to tell some sincere people here today that your kind overcompensation towards other people will do nothing to deliver them from their frustration. You can give them more time. You can give them more listening ear. You can give them more money, but it's not going to fix the area of frustration and frustration in their life. Just like the double portion didn't fix the frustration in Hannah's life because those things didn't deal with and ultimately solve the real emotional area of frustration. See, some of you are walking on eggshells around people trying to overcompensate for something that's not your fault in the people around you. It's not your ability to fix the frustrations in them. The issue is, is we all as people in growing in maturity need to learn how to cancel some frustrations in our life and deal with other frustrations in our life. It says in the text that Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Hannah, you got a double portion. Why are you still frustrated? Why are you not joining the party? Why are you making all of us uncomfortable because we're trying to worship and celebrate and yet you're still weeping? You're still sorrowful. You're still frustrated. Oh, she's about to get more frustrated because watch what he says. Am I not better to you than ten sons? Oh, boy. No. No, El can I? Can I right now grab you and tackle you? No, El can I? Because listen, 
A husband is not the same as ten sons. And ten sons is not the same as a husband. Nor do they have the same purpose. You can give and overcompensate to people more stuff in some areas. But that's not the same area as their frustration. And therefore, ten sons, you're not the same. El can I? He was sincere. The text clearly says that it's because he loved Hannah. But it's not the same. These are sincere people, listen, that will show up in the season of your frustration. These are sincere people that will show up when you're experiencing a frustration. And you got to understand that they don't understand. They love you and they're sincere. But listen, no one can know completely and experience the depth of your sorrow and what you're actually going through because they're not you. Now listen to me. But then guess who else to show up in your story and your frustration? It's insincere people. Penani represents the insincere people. That look for these opportunities because the text said her rival, Penani, also provoked. Someone say provoked. And she would provoke her not just a little, not just like a little thorn in the side. The text says she would provoke her severely to make her miserable. There are insincere people that will show up in your time of frustration and the thing that you keep facing and the mountain you keep finding yourself going around and their whole purpose is to be used by the enemy to provoke you to more sorrow. This is what Hannah's going through. And then the text says, although the Lord had closed her womb. What's that mean for you and I here today? Listen, I'll tell you what. Bad theology creates frustration. For some of you, you're frustrated right now because you got bad theology. You got a bad understanding about who the one true God truly is and bad theology and ideas about God will create frustration in your life because anytime we make God in our image or how we want Him to be or how we think He is instead of who He is, it will lead to a frustration in our life. It said, although the Lord had closed the room. Listen, here's why. The Old Testament perspective and people that lived in the Old Testament when all of the progressive understanding of who God and His ways are, listen, they considered everything that happened had to be God's specific intentional doing. This is what the book of Job is about. It brings it out beautifully through Job's friends. Job's friends are from a culture where they didn't even have the, the context or the cultural context to even consider that God could allow Satan to intentionally do something to see if his saints would respond faithfully to what God wanted them to do when Satan intentionally was allowed to touch things in their life. They had no cultural, no cultural context for that. That God would allow and give opportunity to see His children, His servants to be tested, to be sifted. Now it's one thing 
to be frustrated with people around you. It's a whole other thing when you're frustrated because of wrong thinking in your own mind. Because I can get away for a time from even sincere people and insincere people, but I have found there's a problem. I can't get away from my own thoughts. That's why a man in the woods can be a good thing or a man in the woods alone can be a bad thing. Now notice how this text describes Hannah's emotional state. We're on track. You're you're leaned in. So you stay leaned in. We'll get through this quickly. Verse 7, she wept. Verse 7, she did not eat. Verse 8, her heart's grieved. Verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul. Verse 10, she wept in anguish. Verse 11, she has affliction. Verse 15, she says, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. Now you want to talk about an emotional state of frustration. Listen to where she's at. Think of seasons. Think of things right now that you know of you're going to have to face. Because right now, it's a yearly frustration. It's a repetitive cycle of dealing with the frustration with some relationship in your life, some situation in your life, and it is a reoccurring thing. Can I just up front tell you that when we are fixed on that which we cannot fix, we will be frustrated. Can I tell you that when we consistently consider what we cannot change, we will be frustrated. When we focus on that which our hands cannot touch, we will be frustrated. When we seek to solve the issue with the wrong tool from the toolbox, we will be frustrated. I was uh, clearing out our campsite. We have a little campsite. And I, I hadn't cut the grass yet. And so it was these weeds and all kinds of stuff was growing up. So I was cutting it yesterday. I'm, I'm about 75% done cutting. And the back right wheel falls off. Which has happened before. Because, I mean, I beat that lawnmower. I run it over anything. Rocks are shooting, you know. I mean, I turn that thing into a mulcher. I mean, I'm like, stump grinder, sure. I'll grind the stump with it. So that was happening. So I, I, get, I get with my son, Caleb. I said, we got to go to the store, buy the wheel. And I'm there because I know these moments, how they go sometimes. And there's the plastic wheel, which is the one I had broke, but then there's a steel one. I say, man, if I get the steel one, it'll fix it long term. I won't have to come back. That wheel will be good. Buy the steel one. Get it there, the thing don't fix. I mean, it don't fit. It don't fit. So I said, well, I'm not going back a second time, not today at least. So I mold the rest of the 15% with three wheels. Come on. Three wheels. It didn't go great. What am I saying? I'm saying when you try to fix problems with the wrong tool in the toolbox, you'll be frustrated. Frustrated. At first, I just put the uh, one wheel that wouldn't stay on. I put it on there and see how long I could make it till it fell off. That was frustrating. And I make about four steps, the wheel fall off. I had to let, turn the lawnmower off, try to put it back on, crank it again. Four more steps, it go off. Frustration. This is Hannah. It's not one day. It's not one distant memory. This is a yearly issue. When we try to control that which is uncontrollable, we will be frustrated. When we confuse, here's key, because this is what I want to talk about. When we confuse what type of frustration we are facing, 
with another category of frustration, we will perpetuate frustrations. Did you know there are different types of frustrations? The truth of the matter is, it's the frustration of the wheel of the lawnmower coming off. That is one that ultimately can be solved if we'll use the right tool. I said we because I'm about to enlist some of your help. <laughs> no, if, if I figure it out. <laughs> Listen, Hannah's yearly frustration ended only when she allowed the frustration to provoke her to three things. To prayer, to pour, and to peace. I need to talk about this in our remaining time. I wonder how many years it took Hannah having frustrations over and over and over again before she was finally provoked to action. I wonder if this is the 11th year, 12th year, 4th year, 17th year. We don't know. All we know is they went up yearly and Hannah was provoked every year. But finally one year she allowed what she was being provoked in to provoke her to the right action. And the Bible says it provoked her to prayer. Now it's easy for us to be hard on Hannah this morning. And say how could it take so long of being frustrated before she was provoked to prayer. Don't be hard on her because you are just like her. How long are you going to let things continue that frustrate you until it provokes you to prayer? Coming around the same mountain year after year you are. How long before you allow it to provoke you to prayer? See, this is where Jesus said, if something provokes you on one cheek, you got to get the tenacity and the faith in an almighty God that you'll turn the other cheek. Paul put it this way, how do you overcome the evil of the insincere people that's provoking you? You overcome evil by doing good. So what she did is she was being provoked by Penanai and she just switched that provoked and that feeling, those emotions, and she allowed it to lead her by faith to be provoked to prayer. You know how you get that energy when people start provoking you? What she finally learned year after year is it finally hit her, Joshua, that that feeling and that energy, instead of provoking her to more frustration, she allowed that energy provoke her to prayer. See, God, listen to me. Some of you, God is allowing some frustrations in your life to see how long it will take before you're provoked to prayer. Provoked to an action of faith. Pastor Craig, he's in the spirit. We're, 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 we're in it together today. Because Hebrews eleven six said that without faith it's impossible. Please God, listen. And those that please God will do what? Will come before Him. Knowing that He's a rewarder of them that seek Him. So she was provoked to, to prayer because finally faith had arrived. And her prayer was an act of faith in an almighty God. It says, so Hannah arose after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord. Notice that. Wept in anguish. Listen, Hannah couldn't control or change what Penani did and did to her. And you cannot control what sincere or insincere people do to you. But finally it clicked in Hannah that the things I can't change, there is still something I can change. And that's how I respond to the others provoking me. She, 
Hannah finally got it that I can't control my husband and I can't get him to understand, hello wives, I can't get him to understand how he's not better than ten sons. I can't get him to understand how to pick up his socks. But finally, she stopped focusing on what she couldn't control and she realized there was something she could control and that's drawing near to God in prayer. She can still lead her life. She can still not fall into the lies. Some of you are in the lies that you are just a victim. That you have no ability by the kingdom and the power of God's spirit to respond to even others insincere or even other people's wrong stuff. You can respond by the power of God's spirit. You can respond by being provoked to prayer. See, it's like the theologian Reinhard Neuber in what's often called the serenity prayer. It's an amazing thing. Listen to it with me. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Notice the wisdom to know the difference, that there's different kinds of frustrations, some that I can deal with and change if I'm willing to confront it. But others that I can, I, Hannah can't change how Penina acts, how her husband acts. But then the wisdom to know the difference. Listen, the wisdom to know the difference, that's called personal leadership. That's called you still leading life. Still leading how you respond. How you deal with being provoked. I like what Chris Brady and Orrin Woodward says. Being a leader is a study in managed frustration. You want to lead your life and not just feel like a victim? With no ability to respond? No ability to move forward in what God has for you? then you have to learn how to manage frustration. You have to allow God to give you the wisdom to know the difference of what you can change and can't change. See, maturing is discerning more readily what type of frustration you're dealing with and then what is required to manage and deal with it. See, I've learned this after 15 years of great marriage. Praise the Lord for His grace. But I've learned this in one area of my wife. We talked about it this week, actually, in front of people just in case it didn't go well. But there's something she does every day. And when I wake up and after I finish my morning routine, it's one of the first things I see. Well, every day that you use it. And if I didn't really touch God's heart that day, I'm at a frustration the rest of the day. But she has a goal, I think, of leaving out the creamer she used in coffee so it's there the next day. That way she don't have to get it out. It's just there, Andy, anytime she wants it. The problem is creamer will go bad. And she lives in a house with a missional steward named Chad Craig who's analyzing and calculating cents and dollars for the kingdom as I'm walking through the house. <laughs> but you know what? That was a frustration until God finally gave me wisdom to know what I can change and what I can't change. And I can't change her to get her to put that up when, after she used it. But you know what? I, I can't change the situation. So you know what I do now? I just grab the creamer and throw it in the refrigerator. Some of you wives are, are been for 30 years trying to get the husband to understand about picking up the socks when... You can pick up the socks. 
Here's the point. We need to know the difference between what we can change and what we can't change. And if you can pick up the socks instead of allowing it to frustrate you every day for the rest of your life, just pick the socks up and it's over. Know the difference between what you can't change and what you can change. I'm trying. See, Hannah, though she can't work on her husband, though she can't work on Penina, she can work with her hands. She can still lead life, and she can do the greatest work of hands. Everybody do this. She can fold her hands in prayer. It's the work of faith. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Notice the focus. If you want to have a sense that you're leading life, that you're not a victim, that you're not passive, that you're not just a glob that's being bounced around and, and through the earth, then notice the focus. Mind your business. Work with your hands. Have a desire to lead life. You must lead life, not just live it. She can work with her own hands by folding them to pray. She can be provoked to prayer. When I can't lead others, listen, I can lead my own attitude and life through the work of hands in prayer. Hallelujah. Let me ask you, what are you facing that frustrates you? That you need to respond to in faith by being provoked to prayer? Secondly, she wasn't just provoked to prayer. She was provoked to pour. In 1 Samuel 1, 11 through 16, notice in verse 15 it says, But I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Hannah just didn't pray. She prayed till she poured. She prayed until she reached the place that she poured out her soul. The soul in Scripture is the mind, will, and emotions. She didn't just pray a cute little prayer. Now listen, cute prayers are good prayers and they'll get your pump primed. Meaning cute prayers, simple prayers, 30 second prayers, those are good prayers until you get by faith Christ formed in you to pray consistently. I like those prayers. But I'm telling you right now, regardless of what books to say and quick fix books to say, that there comes a time where just praying cute little prayers ain't enough. If you're going to no longer have frustration in some areas of your life, you're going to have to pray beyond cute prayers, and you're going to have to pray until you pour out your mind, will, and emotions, until you get so honest with God like the Psalms and say, God, I'm so furious right now. God, I'm so bitter right now. God, I'm so confused right now. You have to pray until you pour out your soul. And notice where she poured. She poured out her soul before the Lord, not before people. Some of you are learning to pour. Women are very good at this because they're more in tune with their emotions than us men. But the problem is, is oftentimes women will pour to other people who cannot fix and change the situation. So it gives them temporary relief, but they're about to have a frustration 364 days later. Hannah... We don't know who she poured out to before. But finally, she poured out to the Lord, the only one who then could feel empty places where she poured out. This is what Jesus spoke in Matthew 16, 25. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires to save your way of thinking, your desires, your emotions will lose it. But whoever loses his life will find it for my sake. 
You have to, in prayer, pour out your thoughts. Just what the word of prophecy said today. Unbelievable. He's going to do it his way, not your way. You have to pour out in prayer until you think you figured out how he's going to bring the vision, how he's going to bring the purpose, how he's going to bring the victory. you got to pour out until you surrender your desires and your need for control and you pour out all of your own. The soul represents your humanity, your human ability. You pour out your humanity because only then God can fill the empty place with his divinity, with, with Christ who lives in you. His mind, His will, His emotions. Listen, pouring out is losing your life. She lost her life because the one thing that she so desired, she poured it out in prayer. She said, God, I long so much for a son. But even if you give me a son, it's not going to be my son. He's yours. What did she do? She just poured out her life. She just said that what's in my life is actually not for me. It's for your sake. It's yours you got to get to that place of surrender. you got to get to that place of yieldedness. It's like what Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in the Lord at all times. Someone say all times. You people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Listen, you don't have enough in you to pour out where God is not able to be the refuge and surround it. You could pour out for days and God is still bigger and will surround what you poured out as a refuge. Psalms 142 and verse 2, I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. Maybe Hannah had prayed previous times and this frustration, we don't know, but finally she prayed until she poured. I, listen... I'm talking about me. I mismanage frustrations when I don't take time to get clear on what kind of frustration it is. I mismanaged frustrations the other night at the Moss Scrolls, and I poured out way more than I, I should have, and the Lord dealt with me on the way home, and I'm sorry for that, Pastor Craig and Meredith. When I don't take time to be provoked to prayer to get the wisdom to know what I'm dealing with, something I can change or something I can't change, then I'll mismanage my frustrations. I'll not have good self-leadership. Is it one I can change? Is it one I can't change? Listen, if you're frustrated, men, because you can't find your hunting supplies at Hobby Lobby, that's on you. Well, it said hobby. My hobby's fishing and hunting. Well, that's on you. See, but we let simple things like that frustrate us because we're not being provoked to prayer to get the mind of the Lord on is it something we can deal with, something we can't deal with. Listen, pour out your soul so the Lord can reveal His way out. Pour out so the Lord can reveal His way out. That's what the Word of Prophecy said this morning. Were you in my study? Did you know I was going to preach this, Dorothy? No. See, but the Lord did. Sometimes frustrations happen because of change in a wineskin. Let me read you Mark 2.22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. Here it is. But new wine. Someone say new wine. Must be put in new wineskins. A wineskin means a new way. A new way to carry. To carry out God's purpose. To carry out what God has for you. And many times we're frustrated because we want God to do a new thing but in an old way. But no, 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 no. you got to let God give you a new wineskin, a new way, His way, so that He can fill it with new wine. 
A new sense that provides strength and vitality and passion in your life. Listen, if you will not pour out the old way, where is he going to pour in the new way? N.T. Wright, a marvelous biblical scholar, speaking regarding the ministry and teaching of Jesus, says he was doing and saying things designed to tease his hearers into facing new and dangerous questions into looking at familiar ideas such as the kingdom of God from new and unexpected angles. Lord, what are you doing? I tell you what he's doing. He's allowing frustrations to get you to look at some questions and some things that's been in your life from a new angle, from a new wineskin, from a new perception because he wants you to pour out your old perception, your old thinking, your old desires so that he can pour in his thinking, his perception, his desires for your life. Can I hear an amen? What frustrations is the Lord allowing or causing to provoke you to pour out your mind, will, and emotions? Hannah was not only provoked to prayer, she was not only provoked to pour out but lastly, she was provoked to peace. In 1 Samuel 1.17, it says, Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition. It says in verse 18, the woman went her way. She didn't go Penai's way. She didn't go Elkanah's way. She went her way. Her face was no longer sad. Did she have the child yet? But her face is no longer sad. She's going in peace. Why? Because she poured out her mind, will, and emotions. She surrendered and yielded that frustration to the Lord. And she got up not living her life in that area. She got up and said, my life is his life. Do what you please. She's being provoked to peace. It says it came to pass in the process of time. She goes in peace and doesn't even have the child yet. But listen, she has him in the spirit by faith. She has him by faith because God has spoken to her and given her peace on the matter. She has peace because the child's not hers. Because she poured out her soul in prayer. She died to her will. She died to her wants. And she's at peace because now that area is the Lord's. You know what Lord means? It means he's king. That area is under his dominion. It's under his lordship. It's under his reign. It's under his will now because she poured out her will. But here's the deal. She comes to what's called the weaning process. You leave from that place of pouring out, of surrender, and you have peace in your heart and your spirit. But then all of a sudden you face some situations and you got peace in your heart but not peace in your mind. What's going on? You're about to be weaned. Weaned from what? Well, once she got the child, the scripture says in verse Samuel 1.24, when she had weaned him, then she said, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. Some of the frustrations right now that's provoking you, it's trying to provoke you to the peace of his kingdom, meaning this, watch, being weaned from holding on to that which from the beginning you confess was his. Can I talk to some business leaders for a moment? You know that day when you didn't know what you were going to do with your life after you got fired and you said, oh God, I need to take care of my family. What's my purpose? And God gave you a peace and said, I've called you to start a business. And you got a peace about it. Then you start walking it out knowing that God's going to provide and you start experiencing some service circumstances, some difficulties, and though you have peace in your mind, I mean in your heart you don't got peace in your mind. What's happening? The Lord's trying to wean you practically now to 
live in surrender that what you confessed in prayer is His, it's still practically His day by day. And if He is the one who gave you peace about it in prayer, He's the one that can take care of it and give you peace about it now. See, you got, if you're in the kingdom, there's only one way in. And that's you confess Jesus as Lord. Not just Savior, but He's Lord. And now God is trying to wean you in some situations where He's allowing frustration. Where you actually can begin to experience practically what you already purposed and confessed in prayer. When you said, you're Lord over all my life. You're Lord over my business. You're Lord over my family. You're Lord over my future. You're Lord over my emotions. You're Lord over my mind. You're Lord over my pocket book you are Lord you're being weaned that's why you're frustrated oh you ever mamas know about the frustration of weaning babies ain't happy mamas ain't happy sometimes that means nobody's happy (laughs) no but you're being weaned he's allowing the frustrations now to try to provoke you to the peace of his kingdom and the kingdom of God is unshakable he wants you to experience a peace that's unshakable because that area you're now living out experientially and practically the fact that he's Lord and it's an unshakable peace a peace that surpasses all understanding notice then how what she says 1 Samuel 2 and 1 do you have it on the screen And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices where? In the Lord. Her heart doesn't rejoice in what she's seeing. Her heart rejoices in the Lord. She sees that area under his kingdom, under his lordship. She's poured out her will and her desires. And now that area is in the Lord. And her heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted where? In the Lord. You're not going to be exalted in yourself, in your own mind, in your own ability. You're exalted in the Lord. You find joy and peace in the Lord. She says, I rejoice, what? In your salvation. Notice the transition. She's weaned. It's all about the Lord now, Andy. It's in the Lord. In the Lord. In His salvation. Because she prayed until she poured out her life where her life is no longer our life. Like we sang earlier, Lord, my life is your life. You break me so that you can multiply your glory and your name and your salvation and your fame in and through me. What are you frustrated about? Because God's breaking you so that you can experience His ultimate will for you. Multiplication. That's just how you get comforted in your frustrations. It's so that you can comfort others in their frustrations. That's called multiplication of His kingdom. Jesus had to break and bless the bread before the bread was multiplied. Some of you are being provoked to the peace of His kingdom. Peace of His kingdom. Instead of believing lies when we are provoked that lead to passivity, what if when provoked it led to prayer? It led to us pouring out. It led to us being weaned and experiencing the process of peace. What frustrations are provoking you to prayer right now? And that's what God is trying to get you. That you won't be provoked to respond to the sincere, even insincere people that's showing up in your area where there is a void. But you will allow that provoking to cause you to provoke yourself in prayer to Him that is faithful and able. 
Some of you, though, you have a prayer life. You've learned, you've matured to allow the provoking of situations and others to provoke you to pray. The work of faith daily to draw near and seek first the kingdom. And yet you're still frustrated. What's going on? God is trying to get you not just to pray, but pray till you're poor. <laughs> pray until the anguish of your heart is poured out before the Lord. The anxieties of your future is poured out and there's nothing left there because it is surrendered so now the Lord's life can be there. Some of you have been provoked to prayer and some of you have been provoked to poor but now you're still experiencing frustrations is because the Lord is trying to provoke you to a peace of His kingdom. It's a peace when the whole mob wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff because they were so infuriated that they couldn't control Him. That He says He didn't run from them. It said He walked right through the midst of them because He knew that no one could lay a hand on Him until it was God's time for Him. He hid Himself in the Word of God. He hid Himself in the plan of God for Him. He hid Himself in the Lord. And He knew in the Lord Lord, there are promises. He was provoked to a peace of this kingdom. He wasn't easily shook. What do you need to pour out this morning? Pour out your soul, pour out your strength, pour out your will, pour out you trying to figure out and do it your way so that he can fill it with his life. What do you need to be weaned from? What is something from the very beginning of, of the process, of the very beginning of your relationship with Jesus, you confessed as His. And now the frustrations are to provoke you to experientially believe that he, it is really His. Your purity is His. Your body is His. Your emotions are His. Your future is His. Your dreams are His dreams. There is a place of surrender that Christ may live in you and through you. Can I hear it? Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I want you in this next few moments, this is your chance to respond. To respond to the Word. Your response is an act of your faith. That God who has spoken to you today in any way, He is the God that's able to perform it. To move in and the Holy Spirit is here. To give you a present encounter with the power of of God and His goodness. Let's worship. Some of you, this is your moment. You've not prayed all week. Be provoked to prayer. Some of you have been praying, but this is your moment to pour out. Some of you have been poured out. This is your moment to be weaned, to leave it in the Lord's hand. Come on, let's lift our hearts. Let's lift our voices. Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.